The Watch is the latest and the greatest in pop culture from best friends Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. Join them as they discuss TV, movies, music, and much more. Check out The Watch on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Okay, Sean, top three movie snacks of all time, go. Um, all right, let me think. Uh, popcorn? Obviously. Hmm. Ice cream? That's two. Oh, and uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, of course. Peanut butter and chocolate is a pretty perfect combination. Some may even say the ultimate movie snack. You can't argue with that. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring is such a refreshing time of year. Flowers are blooming and you're getting your house in order. But now is also a good time to take a second look at your wireless plan because you might be overpaying. Right now, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I'm Sean Fennessy. I'm Amanda Dobbins. And this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about the Golden Globes. We've just watched the latest edition of this weird-ass award show. Who won? Who lost? Who got an Oscar boost? Who embarrassed themselves? How did everyone's Zoom background look? Stay tuned to find out because it's all coming up on The Big Picture. Okay, Amanda, the time has come. We've just finished watching this year's edition of the Golden Globes. After much agita, anxiety, and frustration, they have arrived. What did you think of the big show tonight? I hate to admit it, but I had a nice time. And wow. like, let's talk. We'll talk through it, and we'll talk through the stages of it because this awards show was deliberately paced, and they put a lot of things up front at the top of the show on purpose. And it's maybe the only deliberate thing that happened throughout this three hours. But at some point, like, I'm just a sucker for awards shows and celebrities, and I was glad to have it back, even though I know all of the problems with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, even though I knew all the problems with the nominees and the films that were not represented this year, um, even though I know uh, some of the problems with the people who were chosen to win, um, which I don't actually have problems with the actual winners, but there were some surprises and some weird things, so... Also, it was a mess, just technologically speaking. We'll talk about that. So there's a lot going on, but like I'm kind of a mark and I have to be honest about it. Like I'll sit on the couch and be like, okay, well, now people are making jokes about celebrities. I don't get to do that that often. So there you go. Yeah, I think like all the Golden Globe Award ceremonies, it was simultaneously baffling, poorly run and oddly comforting. There was (laughs) something kind of a, you know, a gentle, soothing foolishness happening throughout this entire award show and you know let's let's just talk about the criticism part up front because the first half of the show or at least the first third of the show it was very striking i think the way that the show presented itself tina fey and amy poehler of course were the hosts of this show and in the face of a lot of the criticism that the hollywood foreign press association has received in the last week especially in the aftermath of that uh, story in the los angeles times which we talked about earlier this week on the show um a handful of things happened that made it clear that the HFPA was listening to what people were saying about it. One, obviously giving Tina and Amy what felt like carte blanche to make whatever jokes they wanted to make. Uh, At a certain point, Tina Fey specifically head on just said, quote, everybody is understandably upset at the HFPA and their choices. A number of black actors were overlooked. Inclusivity is important and there are no black members of the HFPA. You got to change that. And then we pivoted directly into the ceremony awards first of which was for best supporting actor in a film which went to daniel kaluuya for his work Mm -hmm. in judas and the black messiah and then shortly thereafter there was uh, an award for best performance in a limited series or television movie and that went to john boyega two black british performers who i think probably represented something very specific that the hfpa was otherwise accused of not representing and I hate to be profoundly cynical about this, 
And it's not uncommon for supporting actor prizes to come early in award shows because it's a way to reel the audience in by showing a famous face early on while not necessarily giving out one of the six or seven most high-profile awards. But it felt a bit like, hey, we can definitely recognize black actors and we're going to do so in the first 20 minutes of this award show. Is that too cynical of me to assume that that was what was going on there? I don't think so, because right after that, or within the first 45 minutes, there was also the segment that featured three members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, the president, Ali Saar, former president, Mahir Tatna, and vice president, Helen Hona. And they were just there to talk about the lack of black members in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. They just stood there, and this is a direct quote, just like in film and television, black representation is vital. We must have black journalists in our organization. Which, yes, all of that is true, 100%, but they did march out within the first 45 minutes to just say that directly. I mean, it you know felt surreal that it even had to be said, which is a part of this whole conversation. So I, I don't think you're wrong in wondering if the orders of the awards were put in a certain way. Um, I think also... You know, we were thrilled to see Daniel Kaluuya win. I, I was. I assume you were as well. We're Absolutely. huge fans of that movie and that performance and him as an actor. But there was like a very on-the-nose moment. He was the first winner and just absolutely his audio cut out. And it was, um, I assume, unintended symbolism. But it was just right there. Everything they needed to be said or or is going on with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association in one very uncomfortable moment. Thankfully, thankfully, they fixed the audio. And they gave him a chance to come back on and, yes. and give the speech that he wanted to give, which you know we were grateful to hear. It, you're right, though. It, it felt like an unintended metaphor for some of the issues, You know, not just with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, but with Hollywood at large, with media at large, with all of these things that we've been talking about. It's interesting, obviously, you know, the reckoning over last summer that a lot of organizations went through the HFPA was effectively non-active at that time. And so it, there is something kind of fascinating to watch what had been happening at a number of organizations in July, August, September, October, essentially arriving in this very compressed window here during award season. Nevertheless, it did happen. Um, there were a couple of other, I thought, odd things. I just learned during the uh, ceremony because of a report from Scott Feinberg at The Hollywood Reporter that sole co-director Kemp Powers was did not know that he was a nominee because he had the title of co-director for the film Soul. And similarly, um, a few years ago when Coco had a co-director, I believe his name is Adrian Molina, he was not nominated as a, as a co-director. And so it felt as if in the last five or six days, the HFPA essentially changed its rules to recognize co-directors. And in this case, it is the, of the black co-director of a film in which there is a black lead character and his other co-director, Pete Doctor, of course, is white, and his, the producer, Dana Murray, is white. And so, you know, there's just a lot of funny business going on right now with the HFPA. And that was compounded by the fact that I guess they managed to recognize Ken Powers as a co-director, but they couldn't get a camera there in time, apparently, or they couldn't get him to the same place where Pete Doctor and uh, Dana Murray were. And so they just had him pre-film a thank you speech. And then they just like held an iPad up to the camera that was then on Zoom on our TVs. And everyone, it just like, it looked terrible. But also, again, technology, not the feature of this Golden Globes, but it um, just really underlined everything that you that you just said about the lateness and them not figuring out and not what's going on and not prioritizing the Black co-director. And just before we started recording, you pointed out to me that the voting officially closed for this awards on Tuesday. Uh, the LA Times report, of course, was released on Sunday morning. There were a few days there where maybe the HFPA could have amended some of its rules or changed some of its voting or lobbied some of its members to make some decisions to, I don't know, withstand the oncoming wave of criticism that was coming in their direction. Nevertheless, it's it's a complicated thing because, as you say, Daniel Kaluuya, John Boyega, these are very worthy and great award winners, people who are a fan of. But I can't help but be a little bit dubious about the way that some of this show was organized and executed. On the other hand, there were parts of the show that were pretty fun. And, you know, I didn't watch the Emmys last year. I know that you did. I was curious how you felt this stacked up as far as the sort of Zoom virtual slash in-person award show goes. It was not as smooth as the Emmys. And, I, you know, I texted our friend and 
my jam session co-host, Juliette Lippman, about all of the Zoom backgrounds of it. And she, with an eye for production detail, was like, they just shouldn't. It's too many Zooms. It's too many Zooms. You can't support this, <laughs> this many Zooms. Which, like I, like, I guess that's true. There were, like, starts and fits, and it just didn't seem like they had um, all of that worked out. I do think that there are fun parts of the Zoom still. Like, we're going to talk about all the Zoom backgrounds. We're going to talk about all the choices people make of, like, how they present themselves. And I, listen, I I love celebrities, and the voyeurism of it is appealing to me, the controlled voyeurism. So I enjoyed that. I thought the kind of breakout rooms that they showed were um, chaotic but sort of entertaining. The flip side of this is that I miss production value so much. Like, and I, I hate Zoom. I'm looking at you at a Zoom right now. I don't think I've literally seen you in, seen you in person in 2021, which is insane. It's been months. And I, like, so looking at more Zooms, even if they're like beautifully staged Zooms and everyone is glammed up, which most people were and the people who weren't, that was also a choice. And that was funny. I'm looking at you, Jeff Daniels. But I, like at some point, you're just looking at another damn Zoom. And I am tired of Zooms. The other thing, comparing to the Emmys, the Emmys sent people in like hazmat suits basically to deliver the statues to the winners. And I don't want anyone's safety to be at risk for an awards show at all. And I, you know, I trust that the hazmat suits protected that. So I like, I guess I'm glad they didn't repeat it at the Golden Globes, but there was this sense of fun to that that was missing here. This was a little, people didn't understand what happened when they won, right? They were like, do I start talking now? That happened again and again and again. And then they were gone as soon as they won. So I missed that sense of conviviality and like, and joy. At one point, Amy and Tina actually made the joke, this could have just been an email, which of course has become the ongoing joke of all of us living on Zoom for our professional lives over the course of the last 12 months. And I saw a flurry of conversation like that on Twitter, that this just had big, you know, four pages worth of Zoom entrances, meeting energy the whole night, the sort Mm -hmm. of like that chaos that you're talking about, the crosstalk, you know, Catherine O'Hara, for example, um, when she won an award for Schitt's Creek, her husband, uh, Bo Welch, the great production designer, Bo Welch, uh, tried to do a bit where he was playing music over her to kind of interrupt her speech, but also playing some sort of like applause crosstalk thing the bit was clever and badly executed and just if i was just watching at home and had zero investment in the globes i would have just changed the channel yes and so you know we run the risk of these kind of interferences and you and i've been in dozens of meetings in which you're trying to make a point frankly we've been on dozens of podcasts where i'm saying something and you're like i have to say something and then we have to stop and stop down and be like actually okay why don't you go and then i'll let you go and like that shouldn't be in an award show like that's not that's already awkward enough in real life and so I agree. Seeing some of those stumbles is problematic. On the other hand, and I don't want to step too much on our best speeches of the night category, but there were a couple of moments, particularly I think Lee Isaac Chung's award when he won for Best Foreign Language Film and his daughter clutching him. And then right at the end of the show, when Andre Day won, she was surrounded by her entire Mm -hmm. family and she was just having overcome by by that moment, both of which you just wouldn't get at a normal award show. You wouldn't be able to see something that intimate you know, real is probably too strong a word for it, but powerful, cool to see that happen. And so I think that there are there is weirdly some upside to this experience. Yeah. At an award show, you still are looking for like a real one when everyone can be in the same room. You're still looking for those moments of people becoming overwhelmed or it's the reaction shot or the people mingling, you know, those moments of like, oh, it's so cool that I got to see this despite all of the, you know, production and like fanfare around this. And it's just a different type of like, oh, I'm so glad that I got that moment on Zoom. And it that has its pluses and its minuses. But I would agree with you. That, like the Lee Isaac Chung moment with his daughter, I just, I, that was like instant tears for me. Um, and she, I don't think that she would have been allowed to go. I think it would have been past her bedtime. Absolutely. So we did get some some genuinely great Zoom backgrounds, more so in the beginning of the show than at the end. In the beginning, I was like, wow, everyone really prepared for this. Mm-hmm. You know, we got a we got a glimpse at Jared Leto living in some sort of like glass serial killer house wearing a brown tux and his corsage. You know, <laughs> we got to look just at incredible um, hair. Also, the best. It's just, it's so beautiful. It takes work to make long hair like that look that good. He's a beautiful man. He's a singular man. Um, yeah. Whether he is 
a good actor. I think I still don't know. I think I may <laughs> die not knowing if Jared Leto is a good actor, but okay. he he's a profound presence. Obviously, Bill Murray, who was nominated for uh, best actor in a or best supporting actor in a, a comedy or musical, just elite. I, it looked like he was in Hawaii, but also with the Chicago skyline behind him. Oh, I thought that was here. I thought that he was in like the Hollywood Hills right around where, gosh, what's the, um, where the AFI Center is, where it meets Franklin. What's that? Um, where Los, Los Feliz Boulevard and, yeah. and Franklin meet like the hills right above there. I think I thought he was at a house there with the um, skyline behind him at an angle. That's where I would place him. Not that I'm stalking Bill Murray. <laughs> that was really alarming. But um, that was just the location that I guessed in a Hawaiian suit, in a Hawaiian shirt with a martini. Yeah, he he was he was living the life I think that we all want. We mm-hmm. all just want to live seaside. And well, I would never wear a Hawaiian shirt if I'm being honest, but that's really okay. not my can't do that many, that many patterns. That's just overwhelming. But otherwise, he crushed it. Um, there were a couple of people who I think had unusually um, normal settings. Uh, yeah. Jason Sudeikis famously, I think, was wearing a had a gigantic <laughs> Chicago man mustache. He looked like one of the Bears guys, uh, and also was wearing a white hoodie. Mm-hmm. Tie dye? No, it was tie dye. Oh, tie dye. Trust me, it was tie dye. The Jason Sudeikis energy is something I'll be parsing for the rest of my life. I immediately texted Chris Ryan and I was just like, did you see this? When will you be doing this character? Like, how can we keep this going? He only wishes he could get in there like that. I know. Um, But that that was big stuff. That was really enjoyable. Jeff Daniels, um, true Michigan dad energy, I would say. In the the fourth bedroom, which has been converted into an office (laughs) that seemed to have three closets. Uh, and he was wearing a flannel shirt. Shout out to him. I just, I really admire I him as an was, actor and as a man. I believe it was Carhartt. And that he, because he <laughs> tweeted later, thank you to the Golden Globes for fulfilling my dream of accepting an award in Carhartt. So uh, one more thing we can only get at a yeah. Zoom award show. Uh, Colin Farrell, by far the creepiest appearance, I would say. <laughs> um, fan Why of- was he presenting <laughs> the father? Why? I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to honor Anthony Hopkins, perhaps an acting hero of his. You know, so typically when they introduce the the films that are in best musical or comedy and, and best drama, they show a short clip package, you know, a, a kind of a highlight reel of the film. And before they do that, they have a famous actor or actress or, a, you know, famous admirer of the movie introduce the movie. Unless, of course... We're talking about uh, Sia's music in which they could not find a single living soul who has seen the movie besides Kate Hudson who starred in it. So she introduced music. Nevertheless, Colin Farrell introduced the father. And uh, in his room, which also uh, honestly just kind of seemed like a murder room. Like, do these famous (laughs) people have murder rooms? I don't know. But in his murder room was a globe, which is is nice. I own a globe. I think it's nice. That's an aspirational thing to own in your home. I do. I do. It's it's kind of small. I'll I'll show it to you when I find it. Um. And uh, he looked like he had a set of bongos on the couch. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, I did. Just one. It was like cut off, but you could uh, see bongo? it. Ah, bongo? Lone bongo? You, you know, the rest of the set was implied. You play the bongos? No. Would you try? I mean, sure. Would you try I, on this podcast? <laughs> sure. Why not? We're going to run out of things to <laughs> movies to talk about at some point. <laughs> it's true. Did, were there any other uh, Zoom backgrounds that you liked? Or thought maybe reeked of murder? <laughs> Well, a lot of them were the same. I I do want to talk about the like hotel room slash Airbnb Zoom Mm. trend, which was like predominant. I would say 80% of the nominees that you saw tonight were in a like a third location, you know, not their home, not where they've been quarantining and they were all staged a certain way and they had the lighting and like some were more like Instagram photo op staged and some were more just kind of, you know, generic Airbnb staged. But I, like, I understand why people are going to do that, especially if you're going to have production crew coming in and I, maybe it eases some of the setup so you don't have to like have a bunch of people in your home in a pandemic. But, you know, I, I appreciate the people with some personality. Like I appreciate Peter Morgan, who made The Crown and won for The Crown. Shout out to my favorite show. Um, as you texted me from his home office in London at like 2 a.m. with his giant printer, like center stage behind him. And the printer, like you texted me about the printer, but it was also the first thing I saw. It was the only thing that you could focus on. There was a giant printer and then like a giant Tony Blair biography, like in the, on the desk behind him. And I like, 
what else do we have to get excited about right now but these weird details? So thank you to the people who give us the weird details. Yeah, thank you to the HFPA for allowing me to see Peter Morgan's printer. That was one of the only kind <laughs> it's a acts really nice ever had. printer. It's a laser was it? printer. Yeah. I don't you know. Have, do you have, have a, printer a printer at home? No. Yeah, Zach, we do. We do. But Zach has it. And okay. I, I I actually am wired so that I can print from my computer. But I just, it means that like I get to disrupt Zach all the time. I can just like hit print and then it's going in his office. This has already been a much weirder podcast than I was expecting. Um, <laughs> any other Zoom background highlights for you? I think as we got further along in the show, they were more sort of tasteful. Like I just saw Don Cheadle and his wife and they just seemed to be living in a nice home together. You know, unfussy, uncomplicated. Mm-hmm. They just seemed to be cozy. When we, we first started, though, like I said, I, I thought that everyone was in some sort of challenge to see who can look more like they rented out the lobby of a boutique hotel in West Hollywood. Like yeah. where Aaron Sorkin was, like if that's his home with like his the giant white marble bar and like two guitars prominently displayed. That was that was overwhelming. I don't think that was his home. I think that was like a weird Airbnb in West Hollywood, as you noted. I do like it when people have their families. You know, I like it mm-hmm. when there are other people there. I think that it adds to the the texture. You can overdo it, though. I would say, did you notice at some point Kate Hudson just invited like I mean, Kurt Russell was there. Goldie Hawn was there. Everyone that she's ever been related to was in that, trying to distract from the where, fact that she was in the film music. <laughs> where was Wyatt Russell? He's my favorite member of the Russell family right now. I don't he know, was not present. He didn't want to be associated with, you know, wow. distracting people from the film music. Do you think he felt that Sia's film was insensitive as well? And so he boycotted Kate Hudson's gathering for her nomination? It was insensitive. So okay. I'm going to respect him for not being in the weird Zoom. They all just showed up too. I'm sure he loves his sister. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Tina and Amy really quickly. I think okay. that they had a very difficult challenge here hosting a show like this, especially since it was revealed to me, at least I didn't know ahead of time that they would be operating on two different coasts. Mm-hmm. And so they were not together as they were presenting their jokes and introducing presenters. What'd you think of how they did? It's really hard to do that. And I I thought that they, like, it was pretty seamless, especially in the beginning. And you and I know we're in different rooms right now and we're trying our best and then Bobby cleans it up, but it's it's really hard. And I, I thought they were funny. I thought that they, they obviously had a really difficult job. I appreciated that they were just, they were pretty direct about the lack of black members um, in the HFPA and and really advocating for that. There is a history of hosts like making fun of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. And like they did that too. Like your workplace being the back booth of a French McDonald's is like really funny. (laughs) But but they were also like direct and explained why it actually matters. Um, So I appreciated that. I also appreciated the jokes. I thought the movies versus TV bit was pretty funny. It kind of um, felt like they were doing our pod in some, yeah. some respects, you know, right. sort of what is the difference between these two things and is one better than the other? And in fact, right. no one knows what anything is. Yeah. Um, um, I also really liked French Exit is what I did after watching the first episode of Emily in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch Emily in Paris? All all the episodes, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. I watched half of them. Mm-hmm. Not not a not a great show. No, it, it's not. it was nominated. It, it walked home empty-handed tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about some of the winners. So, best speeches. The people who get to speak are people who get awards for the most part at these award shows. So, we mentioned Lee Isaac Chung, his win for Minari, which was, of course, somewhat fraught and complicated because Minari was not recognized in any other category because it was deemed to be a foreign language film, and so given the Golden Globes rules, it could only compete in that one category. We just played this game last year with Parasite. We're doing it all over again. For another film about a Korean family, nevertheless, Lee Isaac Chung was on TV accepting an award with his daughter, and what he said was beautiful, and what she said was beautiful. So, great moment. Yeah, I already said that I cried. And I just, what he had to say um, at the end about the the language of love and a, a family, and that is what Minari is about, was both like directly addressing the pretty ridiculous, not ridiculous, I mean, extremely ridiculous and basically entirely stupid rules from the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, but also offering something lovely about his film, which if you have not seen, like we completely recommend. So that was a great moment. Jane Fonda was granted one of the uh, Lifetime Achievement Awards, the Cecil B. DeMille Award here at the Golden Globes. Jane Fonda, one of the more undefeated people in in recent American history. Unreal. Uh, did Did you like her speech? I loved it. 
I, I, I'm a huge Jane Fonda fan. I really recommend her autobiography on top of all of the other work that she has done. I mean, like her highlight reel movies oh, are amazing. Then the she goes, yeah, then she goes to the Jane Fonda workout, which, you know, extremely important. But you learn in the autobiography is to fund all of the work that she did with, my God, what is Eddie Redmayne's character's name in uh, Trial of Chicago 7? Tom, yes. Who she was married to, which they should have made that movie instead. Aaron Sorkin, <laughs> maybe you would have won Best Drama. <laughs> I don't if know. You, I smell a sequel. You yeah, know, the, the trial go. of the Jane Fonda too. Yeah. But, you know, another person who took like the controversy, quote unquote, like head on and just did like a, a moving tribute to all of the films that she loved this year and many of which were not nominated by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and how art brings people together and can teach people about other things. It was, I mean, Jane Fonda, I'm a fan. Same. I thought what uh, Chadwick Boseman's wife, Taylor Simone Ledward, said, um, you know, the way that she tried to evoke what Chadwick would have said when he uh, won his award for best actor in a drama was also kind of overwhelming. It was there were a couple of times where even during this stupid award show that is voted on by a bunch of vain, vainglorious people. I was still moved by a couple of the moments. This one in particular, obviously, everyone knew that Chadwick Boseman was going to win this award. He's you know, not only one of the most celebrated actors of his time, but he's also doing his best work in his last role. Uh, still, I, I, I think what she did was really impressive given the circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. And really emotional. I mean, it's, she was clearly moved and both communicated the message and what she wanted to say and what she imagined he would have said, but just like also communicated the sense of loss and and what he meant to her and to everyone else. And it's I, I, overwhelming is a great word. I thought both times Sasha Baron Cohen cropped up were fairly appealing. You know, Sasha Baron Cohen really kind of dancing on the tightrope of very pleased with myself. And he's mm-hmm. actually kind of the inverse where I think maybe his shtick doesn't work as well when he's in a zoom room with, just his wife there, you know, sort of laughing and applauding for him. Whereas if he were in the room with an audience, you'd be hearing the laughs. It's like going to see a comedy in a movie theater versus watching it at home alone. Nevertheless, I thought thank you to the all white at HFPA was one of the funniest things I heard all night. And um, Sasha, unsurprisingly, pretty dominant tonight here at the uh, at the Golden Globes. I believe it was Dan Coyce from Slate who pointed out that he had material for two separate categories. Like he went back to back. And he had new jokes. And that's the mark of a professional. Truly, he was prepared. One of the more surprising wins of the night was Jodie Foster's win for Best Supporting Actress in The Mortanian, which is a film that very few people have seen. And during her acceptance speech, which was nice, and she seemed quite excited and moved, she thanked Aaron Rodgers. I thought maybe you could explain to the people out there (laughs) who maybe don't listen to Jam Session Okay. Why Jodie Foster thanked Aaron Rodgers? This spans a lot of of topics of interest, but if you are not caught up, if you've been spending your time more wisely, um, so Shailene Woodley has a supporting role in the Mauritanian. Uh, can we put aside the fact that Jodie Foster won as the supporting actress, even though she's definitely like the lead actress in the Mauritanian, but whatever. And Shailene Woodley is the supporting, but whatever. Shailene Woodley has an even more thankless role in the Mauritanian. And Shailene Woodley recently announced that she is engaged to Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. Um, And this after Aaron Rodgers announced, surprise, I'm engaged while accepting the NFL MVP award via Zoom. Is that correct, Sean? Uh, Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yes. So their relationship uh, came as a surprise to pretty much everyone who follows this space, that, that space being the NFL or Shailene Woodley or celebrity, whatever. And so... Jodie Foster thanks Shailene Woodley, like with everybody else related to the Mauritanian. And then at the very end, just threw in Aaron Rodgers. And I honestly thought, was she joking or was she serious? Um, who can tell anymore these days? Right. I, you okay. know, all jokes are tragedy and all tragedies are a joke okay. in 2021. So yeah. I have to, I had, I just assumed that Jodie Foster is a huge football fan, that okay. she's been playing with the Packers on Madden for okay. a decade now. <laughs> And that, you know, she just so happened to get connected to this guy because her co-star got suddenly and mysteriously and quite frankly, confusingly engaged to him, Mm -hmm. which is great. One thing, you know, one of my favorite movies of 2020 was just watching Aaron Rodgers kick ass in football again. He really is one of my favorite athletes to watch play football. Mm -hmm. He is magnificent. So if 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 he's making Jodie Foster happy, that's that's great. I'm really 
I'm proud of them. Yeah. Um, David Fincher didn't win anything at this yeah. award show. It's tough. Which I, I can't say we were surprised. We didn't think he was going to win anything, but he got screen time. Quite a bit of screen time, as I recall. I think he was on screen for the best uh, screenplay category because his father, Jack, wrote the film Mank. He was on screen for best director. Was he also on screen for best drama for Mank? I believe so. And I believe he took a shot every time he lost an award. So literally at the moment when they announced the winner of an award, he took a shot. Mm -hmm. Now, once again, this is a great reason to hold all award shows at home because we got to watch Fincher get shit-faced and whether he was self-pitying, self-mocking, mocking the institution, maybe just having a grand old Sunday night, I just I, I also appreciated his energy. I thought it was a great bit. I think a really underrated Zoom background and Zoom presence from David Fincher, both tonight and if you uh, watched the Ben Affleck-David Fincher conversation you will recognize the kind of same. He like he knows where to look and he knows how to frame the camera. He does frame the camera. He frames the zoom camera and he's he is looking in and he's focusing and um, he's amused when he needs to be amused. Are we going to talk about the screenplay win? Um, and and he seemed earnest when it was like a good time to be earnest. I, I don't know anything, but it seems like David Fincher re- uh, respects Chloe Zhao and Nomadland based on just zoom, which is cool. Uh, so I just continue to be a huge David Venture fan. Let's talk about the screenplay win. This was one of the earlier awards that was given out. It, of course, went to uh, Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of the Chicago 7, which I predicted. And um, his his speech was not great. Uh, I would say it was not ideal. I think he, he pulled a girl dad move. I felt like he kind of talked down a little bit to some of the female nominees by saying that his daughter wants to be like them, which I found slightly patronizing. Mm-hmm. And also... also- I th- it seemed like he didn't know what award he was winning. Yes, he was speaking to the wrong female nominees, which, like, I don't know what he's seeing when he's giving the speech, and it's possible he's not actually seeing the Zoom. And so he, but I believe he thanked Regina King, who was nominated alongside him and director, but um, it was screenplay, and so it was Emerald Fennell on the on the Zoom. And everyone else noticed in the Zoom, and everyone else started chuckling as he just kind of talked on about like, I don't know. I believe he was also only, it was primarily women. Was it only women with him in the Airbnb viewing room? I can't say for certain, but there okay, were quite I can't, a few I can't either, room. honestly, but I, I think, yeah, I am a huge fan of Aaron Sorkin's past work and this wasn't his best speech writing. He's written a lot of great <laughs> speeches in his day and this wasn't <laughs> it. How about that? That's very true. Let's talk about the, um, the predictions that we did earlier okay. this week. Uh, Not great. You, not you great, got, Bob. You got eight out of 14 correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I got nine out of 14 correct. Okay. That is not good, I would say. Yeah. Uh, we also got best drama wrong, and you mm-hmm. got best comedy or musical wrong. So that's not a good showing for uh, <laughs> Team Big Picture, I got to say. Okay. I think if Bobby threw darts at a dartboard full of faces, he probably could have done better than we did. But the Globes are weird. I don't know. The, what, the, the big race here that really threw me for a loop is Best Actress forthcoming at the Oscars because we mm-hmm. had two winners in the two Best Actress categories that I was a little bit confounded by. You guessed one of these. Which one mm-hmm. did you guess? I guessed Rosamund Pike um, for I Care A Lot, which is a film that I do not care for at all. Uh, but it, she seems like kind of like a globesy pick. She's been nominated a bunch before. She was really leaning into the Instagram of her whole movie with her setup tonight. I mean, I really liked her Molly Goddard dress, and that was like the high point when she started like flipping it around, you know? She went full floof. Yeah, yeah which is, I mean, that's that's useful, because how else are you going to convey enthusiasm by a Zoom? But yeah, I don't know. It seems like the kind of a, a person you like in a nonsense movie that's popular seems like a Globes no-brainer. So you just you turned a, a pun on the I Care A Lot title and Rosen, Rosamund Pike did the same thing in her mm-hmm. acceptance speech. Mm-hmm. And I've been noticing a lot of people on Twitter and on Letterboxd are mm-hmm. having fun with that title. Mm-hmm. Is the movie called that just so that people can pun on the title? Like, is that a, is that a secret hack into relevance? Because I, like, I, I just don't think that movie is very good and I'm kind of confused by this whole wave of I Care A Lot mania. And I do think it's like, 11% people want to make a joke about the title. 
I think the title is just one more way in that it's memeable. You know, yeah. it's the it's the Bob, it's all of the Instagram stuff, it's the this the jokes. Like I don't really think anyone who is engaging in the movie thinks that it's well, maybe they do think it's great art, and I don't know what to say about that. But but yes, I think you're right that the the title and the jokiness contributes to its success. I was surprised to not see Maria Bakalova win in that category that Rosamund Pike won. And then the real twist, I would say probably the biggest twist of the night was best performance by an actress in a drama. Mm-hmm. You chose Carrie Mulligan. I chose Frances McDormand. I didn't really feel very good about my pick. I don't know how confident you were in yours, but I don't know a single person who picked Andre Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday. I don't. I, I didn't see a single person predict that. So I don't know what that means for the Oscars. You know, it seemed like this category was actually in a pretty tight place in terms of what direction it was going. And now maybe not. Yeah, but the interesting thing is that it seemed like there were four spots that were pretty locked up, which were Carrie Mulligan, Frances McDormand, Viola Davis, and who is Vanessa the Kirby? Girl? And Vanessa Kirby, of course. Um, maybe, maybe that's what happens. Maybe it's maybe Vanessa Kirby doesn't get nominated, and Rosamund Pike and um, Andre Day slip in. Rosamund Pike feels like a, like a real Globes. We've got an extra category here, and we like this person thing that doesn't transfer to the Oscars. So, but I could see Andre Day being the fifth person now. The thing is, is that both of these films are brand new. The United States versus Billie Holiday debuted on Hulu this weekend, and I Care a Lot premiered on Netflix the weekend before that. And so, the you know, we we joke about the Globes, but one of the reasons that we cover it is because when Oscar voters are watching this show and they see Andre Day win, they say to themselves, I should check that movie out. And then they watch it and maybe they fall in love with it. She is terrific in that movie. I, I think the movie is a bit uneven in general and f- slips into some of the biopic traps that we talked about uh, earlier this year. But she's ex- extraordinary and she sings. And that's one of your rules. You want someone to, mm-hmm. to sing when they're portraying a singer. And she sings the songs of Billie Holiday. So that one will be interesting to see if there's any ramifications in the Oscar race. So Nomadland won Best Drama. Mm-hmm which I think you and I both somewhat cynically thought it would be the trial of the Chicago seven. It seemed like a safe ish globes type pick. Nomadland of course is significantly smaller in terms of, um, I guess just maybe budgetarily, but, uh, the scope of that film is actually quite vast given how much traveling the lead character does, but it's a lyrical movie. It's a, it's a kind of a, it's at least in spirit, a true indie. Were you surprised by the Nomadland win? A little bit. I didn't think that, the Globes would go for it. And I was reflecting right before Nomadland won on the fact that Netflix basically just cleaned up, especially in the TV categories. It won The Crown. It won um, Queen's Gambit. Anya Taylor-Joy won as well. Obviously, like Rosamund Pike, I care a lot. That's a Netflix movie. There was, it's, it was really edging in, and I thought, oh, that, that makes sense. Like, the just Netflix of it all will fill the void of, of 2020 and carry it to victory. So I... I think it's good news for Nomadland. I don't know if it means that Nomadland is a lock, but I think it probably means that Trial of Chicago 7 is out of the running. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's very hard to say. Famous last words, I'm sure. You know, Ben Zosmer, the uh, Oscar stats guy, he's somebody who follows the awards race very closely um, and does a kind of Oscar metrics and is also a front office guy for the New York Mets. He pointed out that um, in each of the last 10 years, the film that won in the best musical or comedy category went on to be nominated for an Academy Award. The winner of that category, of course, was Borat 2. Mm-hmm. Borat 2 is not on a lot of people's shortlists for best picture. So it'll be interesting to see if that changes too, given the circumstances and the amount of exposure that that film got with Sasha's win and the win for that film. So there's definitely going to be some ramifications here. Um, let me just ask you, before we get into some, some listener questions, a broad mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Having seen this award show, do you feel like award season is maybe a little bit bigger than it was a day ago, a month ago, three months ago? Or does it still feel like it's happening in this weird vacuum bubble? I think it's both. I think it's bigger than it was yesterday because at least I got to text like four of my friends about various things. And like one of my close friends who doesn't follow movies and doesn't listen to this podcast will inevitably text me this week being like, what's Nomadland? Should I watch it? And I will say yes. So, you know, in that sense, it's a bit broader just because there's a platform. I definitely also texted friends of ours 
who normally watch this stuff who just weren't watching. And it does feel like, you know, even Nomadland winning, I think that's a movie you and I both really like. But as you said, it's a smaller movie, not in like its landscapes or even in its themes. I think its themes are like really hefty, but just it's an it's an indie. It's quiet. You got to got to look at the TV and not at your phone. And it and it's newer and pe- not as many people have seen it. So, I don't think that this just suddenly, I don't think the Golden Globes grabbed the world like and got its full attention tonight. Yeah, I don't think ratings are necessarily that important, but they'll be notable in this case if they've been averaging about 20 million viewers over the course of the last decade. It feels like a lot of people were not watching tonight. And so we'll probably find that out tomorrow morning. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring is such a refreshing time of year. Flowers are blooming and you're getting your house in order. But now is also a good time to take a second look at your wireless plan because you might be overpaying. Right now, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected. An inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue. A surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland. Watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being. Present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Shall we go to some, uh, some, some listener questions? Bobby, do you want to read some questions for us? Yes. Uh, we already covered kind of the best Zoom, best and worst Zoom backgrounds, I guess. Uh, Andrew Gretadero already has a piece up on The Ringer about that, so go check that out. Andrew pointed uh, out that Trent Reznor also had a really dope uh, Zoom background, which mm-hmm. he did. Well, Trent Reznor is great. He and Atticus Ross had the same background, which led me to believe that that was pre-taped. Hmm. Yeah, I thought I it, it felt pre-taped to me, too. They felt yeah. like they were in a studio, too. They sounded a little yes. better than everybody else. Yeah. Hmm. That's I, just I don't my audio have any knowledge. That's just me like using my powers of observation. But do you so how do you, let's just break that down very quickly. Okay. Oh boy. Because this is a this is new territory, right? Yeah. So presumably he was not alerted to the fact that he was going to win beforehand. So, so does that mean that he recorded an acceptance speech, sent it to the Golden Globes to NBC and said if I win run this? Well, I think they both would have had to because not yeah. only are they in the same place, but Atticus Ross, you know, says I'd like to thank everyone who was just thanked. So they're like building on but each other. But his was a throw and Trent's was a throw from John Batiste. Mhm. But so not that only that, they would have had to reco- record two separate ones because they were nominated twice. So they would have had to record two wow. separate winner speeches oh. for different films. We need to. We need an investigation into this. Okay. This is huge. Someone can sleuth about this. For the record, Trent Reznor is one of the most talented recording artists of the last quarter century. It's entirely possible that he just had a good setup for his Zoom situation, right? Yeah. That's yeah. plausible. Yeah, but it's not like he and Atticus Ross were in the same frame. They had the exact same background, but they were in 
completely different frames. And it was like a very quick throw. So unless it was like, you know, the like, I don't know, like the camera sliding down. like Maybe they feet. were quarantining together and they're in separate rooms, like separate ends of the same studio. Maybe. Are you guys willing to do that? Quarantine together, get in the same studio? Absolutely not. As Amanda <laughs> pointed out, quarantine has been an awesome opportunity to never see Amanda again. So except for <laughs> five times a week on a Zoom meetings <laughs> and on this podcast. So uh, no, maybe we should do the Oscar spot back to back outdoors at night in like 50 degree weather. What do you think? Back to back? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you know, sure. Like, like, like a screenwriting yeah, yeah, couple. Yeah, yeah, you know, I got it. Carrie no. Grant um, and Rosalind Russell. Great. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay, let's, what's the next question, Bob? Not even a question. Reed wants you guys to take a shot. Are you are you willing to take a shot? for I just moved and all my booze is in boxes. <laughs> I don't yeah, have access like, to any alcohol. <laughs> it's like in the other room. It's also, t- it's a school night, man. Um, <laughs> it's true. I have a 9 a.m. Bobby. Jesus. Guitar Dude. Is music the worst movie ever nominated? Hmm. I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of the Golden Globes off the top of my head. I would say at the moment of its release or at the moment of its nomination, it's one of the least seen films. Um, there's, n- there's no conversation about this movie. There's no energy other than it was deemed to be problematic before it was released and then it was recognized by the HFPA. And that's it. That's all anyone's ever going to know about it. I also don't have a categorical, like I don't like to speak categorically if I don't know the answer, but I I do think, I can't remember another movie where it was not just like DOA among film Twitter or people who see movies, but like at the Globes, like the Globes clearly barely wanted anything to do with it. And Kate Hudson was like the only person who would introduce it. And it was just, it was very clear that it was going nowhere. So that's interesting at least. I'm just looking at some lists of the worst Globes nominees ever. Even the ones that are bad are sort of like, you kind of get it. Remember that movie Bobby that Emilio Estevez directed about the final hours before RFK's assassination? It was like star-studded but quite mediocre. And that was nominated for Best Drama because it seemed like a movie that should be nominated Mm -hmm. for a Globe. Music doesn't even really fall into that category. I don't know. We could do a remake of that movie where it's just me editing this podcast later tonight. Yeah. Uh, and, then, Grace, and then you're assassinated at the end of it. Great, tough, tough beat for me. Grace wants to know thoughts on Ben Stiller's hair. I was curious about the purple undertones. So, do we think that that was the lights? No, I'm serious. I'm glad that Grace noticed it because I did too. Do we think that was the lights? Do, I think did you got to actually... turn off your emotion smoothing. Purple no. undertones? Yeah, That's a it was serious accusation the, that Amanda has motion smoothing he, on. I, do, I don't, but other, maybe other people on this Zoom do, not naming any names. <laughs> but I, yeah. In Tom Cruise's world, no. I, 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 all I saw was gray hair. I thought it looked great. Okay. It's good to see Ben. Enjoy yeah. Ben Stiller's work. Mm-hmm. He's taking a step back from the, uh, the acting of late, which is why he wasn't on the 35 over 35 list, which, you know, let's just follow up on that really quickly. Oh just, just sterling reviews on that one. You know, probably our most beloved podcast ever. Everyone agreed with us 100%. I want to thank everyone for listening and sharing your kind, warm feedback. I know we got it right again. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> um, Casey wants to know, if you are an Oscars producer watching the Golden Globes tonight, what are your biggest takeaways, good and bad, for planning the April ceremony? So I am Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So not only that, that, that's actually quite weird because it's not like you get to be with Steven Soderbergh, right. your beloved. You right. become him. You know, you get a freaky Friday with him. Right. No, I know. That's intense. Um, it honestly seems like something he would love to explore in film. Um, okay. So I'm Steven Soderbergh. And what I'm going to do is insert myself into the whatever rom-com Julia Roberts and George Clooney are making and decide to direct it myself because Mm. I just would like that to happen. And then I'm worried about the Oscars. Here are my lessons. Number one, just like make sure that all the internets work. Just like make the tech work. And also, secondarily to that, help the nominees understand how the tech works. Like it was very clear tonight that no one at any point said to these people, okay, so when your name is called, we're going to cut to you and then you can start talking. They also didn't speak to whoever was doing the sound to say, okay, once the person starts talking, turn off the music. Um, maybe you want to build in some lag time. Maybe that's another production thing we could do. These are, these are small goals, but you got to start small, you know? And that's, that's how you become great, like Steven Soderbergh. If I'm Steven Soderbergh, first thing I'm doing is 
I'm calling up Joaquin Phoenix and I'm getting him to introduce every single award. He is presenting every award for the night because the economy and the energy that he brought to this show was outstanding. He was wearing uh, what looked like a pair of Sauconies and a hoodie over a... Oh, I thought a, they were Chuck Taylors. Were they Okay, maybe they were Chuck Taylors, but like over like a caterer's uniform and he couldn't have been less interested in the pleasantries. He was just like, here are the people. Here's who won. Let's get out of here. But imagine that 30 times in a row at the Oscars. That would be an efficient show. Plus, we'd get a lot of Joaquin. Who, do, who okay. doesn't want more Joaquin? So this is why you are not both the producer of the Oscars or like a person with a lot of friends because that let, is let sociopathic, me, okay? Let, like, let me assure you that that is not why. There are a lot of reasons why I am not the producer of the Oscars or a person with a lot of friends. It has nothing to do with my opinions about Joaquin Phoenix. It's, it's oh. not about Joaquin Phoenix, a person who I like very much, but it's about that let's cut all the fun out. Let's cut out any human interaction or sense of fun. And then make it awards show. Like that's well, not how you do awards show. There's Sean. work to be done, Amanda. Keep okay. that in mind. We got to give out these awards <laughs> and less fun. The Sean Fantasy Show. <laughs> okay, what's next, Bobby? Uh, Daniel, on a level of one to ten, how would you rate Jason Sudeikis' dad going through a divorce energy? Amanda, you got to give the background. to three thousand. Like <laughs> God bless. And let me explain tell you, this. Explain the background because you know something that many of our listeners probably don't know. Oh, that yeah, I certainly I didn't know about, about this. Okay, well, so J- Jason Sudeikis is going through not technically a divorce because they were engaged but never legally married, but um, a separation with his longtime partner Olivia Wilde, with whom he has two children. Perhaps you've seen photos of Olivia Wilde entering and exiting Harry Styles' home because that's what's been happening. So the timeline there has been a bit murky. And, you know, if you read the tabloids in a certain way, people are leaking different things, trying to place some blame. And I, I don't really know what's going on. But the most recent tabloid report that I read is that Jason Sudeikis is currently in London filming season two of Ted Lasso. So keep in mind that all of that energy was like 2, 3 a.m. just to add to the texture. Um, but the report said that Olivia Wilde and their children were living with Jason Sudeikis um, so that they could all see the kids, you know, during quarantine and during lockdown and COVID, which is, which is very nice. And as a, as a child of divorce, shout out to parents who are willing to do that for their kids. On the other side, can you imagine how awkward that is? We actually tried one holiday this way and we like my family and it was awful. And I appreciate everyone trying, but just that is what is possibly going on at 2 a.m. while Jason Sudeikis is wearing a tie-dye hoodie. And, you know, possibly having consumed some things. So at the risk of getting a little bit too personal or vulnerable. Sure. In my family, when my parents got divorced, my parents split up, they separated. And then my dad moved back in and they gave it another shot. And I got to say, the moving back in was arguably more traumatic than the divorce. Mm -hmm. And I don't know anything about Jason Sudeikis and Olivia Wilde. They seem wonderful. I'm sure their child is a wonderful person. It's a weird situation, man. It's a very weird situation. On the other hand, I'll tell you who I wouldn't want to be right now is Harry Styles. I would not want my girlfriend moving back in with Ted Lasso at this very moment in history because I watched Ted Lasso, delightful television show. Sudeikis has a very strong vibe. That's dangerous stuff. On the other hand, he's Harry Styles. So it's it's like the one hand and the other. I just, before we move on, Whatever was happening with Jason Sudeikis' speech and like the Tolstoy book that he reads his <laughs> child. Was that like, real? Was that made I up? Don't, I, I'm going to find out. <laughs> but I also don't want to know because I want to live in a world where it could be real. It was amazing. It's just, I mean, that was just the weirdest free association I've ever seen. And also like a lovely message to the child and to Tolstoy and to his fellow nominees and <laughs> yes. actors. So it was, much like music, Tolstoy is important. That's what you would say. <laughs> Did you know that I've read Anna Karenina? Anyway, <laughs> it was great. And it was an incredible energy. Chris ha- Ryan had not seen it. I, again, I sent it to him immediately. And I just tie-dye sweatshirts for everybody. I I think upon reflection, he's grown that mustache as Olivia Wilde repellent so that she would not be drawn back into his into his bubble because that okay. was that was quite a mustache on that guy. It was, it was great that, stuff. I think I think that's all of our Jason Sudeikis thoughts, Bobby. Unless you want us to try to conjure some more. 
No, over under three and a half people wearing the Jason Sudeikis sweatshirt when we get back to the Ringer offices after the well, pandemic you'll, you'll is You'll be over. one. Yeah, so me. There's, there's at least one. The Ringer's C- wonderful I mean, basketball is, writer, Paolo yeah. Getty, probably number two. Paolo, Chris, who else? I don't know. That That's the break of the over under right there. You need to find a fourth. Could be you, Sean. No, I would never wear a sweatshirt to the office because I'm an adult. Um, wow. Wow. Okay. okay. Well, right. uh, like the adult that you are, please answer this next question from Ryan. If Thanos had to replace a Golden Globe nominee slash winner in their respective movie and role, who would he replace? I am inevitable. Ryan, thank you for asking that question. Thanks to everyone supporting the Thanos community out there. Um, I think there's a very clear answer here, which is I care a lot. Just imagine Thanos in the Rosamund Pike role. Just same film. Film doesn't change at all. It would honestly be better because the energy <laughs> of Thanos and Peter Dinklage would at least match up. Oh, that would be exciting. Yeah. Um, no shots I, to Rosamund Pike, but they're just in different movies. If I had to choose a backup, I would probably say James Corden in The Prom. Okay. I thought I would get a laugh out of that. Jesus, just got <laughs> just, blanked. Would, just imagine Thanos in The Prom. I, I, It couldn't be worse, I guess. <laughs> I'd rather imagine Thanos hosting the late night show. James I, I was hosts. actually when you were saying that, I was imagining like Thanos on top of the the bus, the double decker bus with Prince Harry. Um. Okay. Probably, probably karaoke best we, with we Thanos. Past Thanos, I think. I think uh, I George <laughs> wants to know: Rosman Pike, Oscar contender or pretender? Yeah, I mean, we touched on this one a little bit. It certainly feels like it, right? Would not surprise me to see Rosman Pike contending again. I don't. I think Gone Girl is her only nomination in her career, so it's not as if she's been unrecognized. Um, I, Andre Day, on the other hand, the Oscars does like an ingenue, so it's gonna be it's gonna be tight. If it's between those two, I think it will go to Andre Day. Hmm. The Rosamund Pike thing could totally happen, but to me, it feels like a Golden Globes fluke. Like, sometimes they're just weird, you know? I mean, often they're just weird. It's possible. One observation that we made earlier this week when we were talking about the show was that this year's Best Actress race is, this year's Best Actress race is kind of funny because Frances McDormand and Viola Davis are heavy favorites, but between them, they have three Oscars. So... If there's an attempt, we thought maybe they would reward Carrie Mulligan at the Globes and perhaps at the Oscars, but there's room here for a Vanessa Kirby, for an Andre Day, for a Rosamund Pike. So we shall see. I think she's, I mean, clearly a contender. Two more questions here. Matt wants to know, what percentage of nominees got dressed from the waist down? Pants and shoes. Can I clarify? I yes. know that you didn't plan this question, Bobby, but I mean... Are we are we talking about are they like wearing a full outfit that matches or yeah, people yeah, just so. like going, you know? No, I don't mando. think he's like okay. going boxers or anything okay. like that. No. I think probably 70%. What do you think, Sean? Because like this is the thing. A lot of people went full glam and a lot of people, especially the women, they were wearing dresses. And I think there's a a lot of people were trying very hard to look good in these managed situations. They did, by the way. I thought everyone looked great. But so you're not going to take a chance, you know, with an errant, like, I don't know, jean short situation on, on if you're trying to look good. I think Fincher was definitely wearing capri pants. Um, I think, no, I mean, I'm I'm wearing shorts and slides right now, which is not something I would ever wear in public ever. But here we are doing a podcast on Zoom. And that's effectively what the nominees were doing. They were doing podcasts. So I think most of the women who were nominated were wearing dresses. And those that were wearing dresses, of course, were taking care of this. Um, I mean, Sudeikis might have just been porky pig in it. You know, he might have just been like <laughs> just bare underneath there. You, just, you never know. Uh, 70% seems like a reasonable number. What's like, what's pants though? Like, like do jeans count? I feel like if you're wearing a suit up top, jeans, that means you didn't dress up. You didn't dress from the waist down. If you're wearing a suit jacket. Okay. Amanda, let me ask you a question. When's the last yeah. time you wore high heels? You know, I mean, I didn't wear them before we went outside. So I, I'm trying to think. So was the answer like 1999? No, I have one pair, but it was definitely like 2019. Wow. Okay. There was some comments about how yeah. impressive Amy and Tina's performance was given that they were in heels and they were very likely not wearing heels very often during quarantine. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm wearing orange fuzzy slippers right now. So nice. um, I'm with them. 
what's 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 this last question here? Is this an important one? Is this one that's going to change the course of movie commentary forevermore? No, but we could do one final one after that, which I have not put in the doc yet. But this last Ooh. question that we have here from Joe is, why do people in the motion picture industry have such terrible webcams and microphones? Why wouldn't their publicists get them set up with better tech? And this is a real throwing a bone to you guys here. Podcasters dominate celebrities in this category. I mean, look at this warm glow on Amanda Dobbins in this in this shot. This is unbelievable. This is because I have absolutely no lighting in this room normally, like no overhead lights, no lamps. And so uh, because I'm not usually here at nine o'clock at night podcasting. So I asked my husband, I was like, can you solve the lighting for me? And I, it's just like four beautiful lamp, lamps in a, in a formation, think, thanks to Zach Barron. Um, but yeah, I, this is because we have people who help us and I'm not really sure why the celebrities or really why the Golden Globes didn't do this. Mm. Again, this is the thing. Like, I'm not sure, honestly, whether people were using their own equipment or whether they were sent a kit and whether it's just because of the number of kits and like the number of streams that it wasn't the quality that we expect. I kind of think it was the latter. I'm genuinely not sure. I mean, as we said, it seemed like Trent Reznor had a really solid setup there, as did his producing partner, Atticus Ross. So another, you know, case for him having done it ahead of time. It's 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 possible. I don't know. I don't I'm look, technology's hard, you know. And I don't want anybody in my house. So it is what it is. <laughs> okay. Uh we'll do one final question because I, I do think that this one is important, though it is also a joke. Brian wants to know how many bedroom doors are too many bedroom doors. <laughs> <laughs> is this a Jeff Daniels question? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Jeff the Daniels man had was five like, doors behind him. Five he was doors. Like Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness, you know? He's just that was some wild stuff. Well, it was just like there wasn't room for anything else in the room because it was just like a bunch of doors and whatever one piece of furniture, and he kind of seemed like crammed in on the side. That's okay. Um <sighs> What do, you, what do you think usually happens in that room that he was in? You know, just do some Daniels fanfic for me. You know, he's an actor in his 60s. He's got this theater group. He's just off of a long run of Sorkinese on, on, on the Great White Way. What's he doing in that room? Just like checking out Quicken Loans or, <laughs> you know, looking at the, I don't know, the Michigan Wolverine score. What's, what's he doing? I don't know. It had a real like this is the room that we don't go into vibes, you know, and like it's just murder room. Thank you. <laughs> OK. Or just like where we put all our stuff. I and, think there's like an yeah. extra pool Corpses. table in there. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's all I got. No more questions. Amanda, it's been a very tumultuous week for the Hollywood Foreign Press after the report last Sunday. Very complicated award show executed tonight. Before the show tonight, I saw some people speculating that maybe this is the end of the Golden Globes. That maybe that thing that we suggested earlier, that maybe there could be another award show rising in its stead, could and should happen. Do you think that that's more likely now, having seen this award show? I really have no idea. I, I, I think that in terms of at least they did the bare minimum of acknowledging the lack of Black members, although they did not acknowledge any of the other issues that were a part of the... Uh, the LA Times report and are part of the long history of just taking free stuff and using this as a gravy train. There were a couple jokes about it. So they acknowledged that they had a problem, I guess. They did it, they did reward some black winners. Thankfully, I think that would have been really messy if um, they hadn't. And, you know, I said I had a good time, which in and of itself, it's like, okay, well, the it the trick worked on me for three hours at the beginning. I was like, you jokers. And at the end I was like, eh, all right, maybe some people will watch Nomadland. So I, I guess it worked for them, but I also do think that this report and this wave of criticism is going to have more traction than past bits of criticism. And I think if, as you suggested, the ratings aren't good and as we go on in the award season and, you know, especially if Minari and Judas and the Black Messiah become a part of the best picture conversation, which I really hope they will because they're excellent films. And one was not nominated and the other was not eligible in best drama, which is again, ridiculous. So once again, the failures of the Hollywood foreign press association, like start to be tied to the awards and the things that matter. And then maybe someone does something I, like, but like, I don't know. It also seems like, this was great publicity for all the studios who had films and TV shows, and that's what they want. 
I couldn't have said it better. I agree with you completely. I think we don't know, and on the one hand, it could there could be a reckoning, but more likely, the power stays entrenched. So, Amanda, we're we're done for tonight, but mm-hmm. we're going to be back twice more this week. We'll be mm-hmm. back on Tuesday with a new episode. We're talking about uh, after much anticipation, promising young woman, which I'd won le- nothing tonight. I won nothing, so and likely best it. picture contender. And I'm very sorry that I. Did not have that conversation last week. Nevertheless, we'll be ready to talk about it this week. And then after that, we're going to talk about a slightly more lighthearted situation. Of course, the career of Eddie Murphy, because he's coming back and coming to America. Please stay tuned to the big picture for both of those episodes. And thanks, as always, to Bobby Wagner. And thank you to everyone out there for listening as we jump onto the rocket ship of award season. It's not quite a rocket ship. It's, it's more like a radio flyer, but we'll hear from you soon. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.